Israel's first prime minister, David Ben-Gurion, famously said, in Israel, if you don't believe in miracles, you're not a realist. Well, Israel certainly needs a miracle these days. According to an Hasidic rabbi, the war of Gog and Magog mentioned in the Bible in the book of Ezekiel has already begun in Syria. And many others are wondering if the Ezekiel war has in fact really begun. So let's examine those prophetic scripture verses to consider what tomorrow's news headlines might be. Hello, I'm Christine Darg. Upheavals. Our worlds and civilizations are in collision. Recently, we witnessed the spectacle of the fourth and final blood moon in the tetrad of four blood moons that occurred on subsequent Jewish feast days in 2014 and 2015. Many Bible scholars and watchmen believe the blood moons were a cosmic signal from God that we've been entering the beginning stages of an end time scenario that was envisioned by the prophets in the Bible. Certain prophetic scriptures such as Psalm 83, Isaiah 17, Zechariah 12, and Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39 seem to be coming to pass in real time right before our eyes. An Israeli father and mother were shot by terrorists in their car while their small children watched helplessly. A father was murdered on his way to pray at the Western Wall, and his wife was stabbed. The two-year-old daughter was shot in the leg, and a young man who tried to help them was also killed. There have been many more stabbing attacks in Tel Aviv, Jerusalem, and all over Israel. Have you ever read Psalm 83? It reads just like the news. It describes a confederacy of Mideast nations hell-bent on destroying the Jewish state of Israel, saying as one voice, Come, let's wipe them out as a nation, so the name of Israel will be remembered no more. You see, darkness is increasing while Israel is increasingly pressured by all the nations. France recently proposed that the Temple Mount should be internationalized. And Palestinians are inciting strife on the Temple Mount, and amazingly, the nations are blaming Israel for it. All of this opposition and contention bring to mind the prophecy concerning Israel in Zechariah chapter 12, where God says, I'm going to make Jerusalem an intoxicating cup that sends all the surrounding peoples reeling. Judah referring no doubt to the contested territories of Judea and Samaria. Judah, he said, will be besieged as well as Jerusalem. And in verse three, God gives a dire warning to the nations who are meddling with Israel's capital. On that day, God said, when all the nations of the earth are gathered against Israel, I will make Jerusalem an immovable rock. In other words, Jerusalem will be like an immovable boundary stone for all the nations to watch. And God warns, all who try to move it will severely injure or 
rupture themselves by trying to lift and tamper with Jerusalem. Well, that's hot off the pages of the book of Zechariah in the Hebrew Bible. So we'd better listen up and learn from this word of God. Despite the anti-Semitism, the inordinate hatred and bloodshed against Israel, God's hand is decidedly upon Israel once again, just as he promised, not to destroy the Jews, but to bring them home. The Jewish people whom God calls in scripture, his wife. The world sadly doesn't understand, but that's why Israel is being pressured on every side and is facing much spiritual and physical warfare at this time. God's word promises that as the Lord regathers Israel, he also will protect and shield this nation. In the midst of increasing darkness coming upon the earth, the church must arise and shine until Jesus comes to summons us home. Well, the social media are a phenomenon causing chaos to speed up. All sorts of satanic propaganda is spreading fast and seemingly out of control. Like all media, the social media can be used for good or for evil. But I believe if God had a Twitter account, he would astound the world by tweeting passages from his unchangeable word. Take Isaiah 41, for example, where God says, But you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, I took you from the ends of the earth, from the farthest corners, I called you. I said, you are my servant. I have chosen you, and I have not rejected you. So don't fear. I'm with you. Don't be dismayed. I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And here's another tweet from God to the terrorists and to the ayatollahs of this world concerning Israel. God says also from that chapter, Isaiah 41, all who rage against you will surely be ashamed and disgraced. Those who oppose you will be as nothing and they will perish. You will search for your enemies, but you'll not find them. And those who wage war against you will be reduced to nothing. For I am the Lord your God who holds your right hand and says to you, don't be afraid. I will help you. So, concerning Israel, God's word says that in the end, all those who war against Israel shall be reduced to a big fat zero. And surely the legacies of Herod, Haman, and Hitler testify to this reality. They were all reduced to zero. We're now coming to the culmination of history as we know it. And as I said at the beginning of the program, a recent headline certainly caught my attention. It asked the question, Syria, part of greater Israel? This is because what's going on now in the territory known presently as Syria was prophesied about in Isaiah 17. Verse 1 says, Behold, Damascus, which is Syria's capital, will cease to be a city and will become a heap of ruins. Just look at the photos and news footage coming out of Syria and you'll see that prophecy coming to pass. Well, an important Hasidic rabbi recently offered a surprising biblical interpretation of the war of Gog and Magog as described in Ezekiel 38 and 39. 
And at the end of the Feast of Tabernacles in 2015, Rabbi Shalom Berger, also known as the Miskolitz Rebbe, spoke about the imminent arrival of the Messiah. The rabbi believes we're in the beginning stages of the Ezekiel War, known as the War of Gog and Magog. The Mishkolitz rabbi's comments were reported on a Hebrew-language website. He revealed a surprising interpretation that challenges the usual understanding of where the war will take place on the mountains of Israel. He explained that Contrary to the biblical sources, which describe the war as taking place in Israel, that war has already begun and is happening in Syria. The Miskolitz rabbi suggested to his followers that this winter, there will continue to be upheavals in the world, but everything will turn out for the good for Israel. Well, the Miskolitz rabbi said that the war that's currently being contained in Syria but who knows for how long, is at present a form of God's mercy upon the nation of Israel because he stated, God is sweetening the judgment by making this war happen, not in Israel, but in Syria. The Rebbe quoted one of the rabbinic sages who said poetically that in the future, the gates of Jerusalem will reach Damascus. And in that case, Rabbi Berger explained, instead of the war being waged inside Jerusalem and the people of Israel suffering, God has extended Jerusalem to include Damascus. So keep in mind that the Syrian capital, Damascus, is only about 60 miles from the northern border of Israel in the Golan Heights. As if having a hook in his jaw, to use biblical terminology, from the book of Ezekiel, Russia has been drawn into Syria to take a spoil, and even China is involved. The rabbi called on Jews around the world to unite and to refrain from slander in order to, he said, merit miracles and wonders when Messiah is revealed. Well, we Christians also know Messiah is coming, and when Jesus comes, the Jewish people will recognize him as their very own. By the way, the Rebbe has made headlines recently with his revelations, previously. For example, at the end of 2011, he announced that no military strike on Iran was necessary because he predicted that the Iranian president at the time, Mahmoud Ahmadinejad, would fall from power. If you recall, Ahmadinejad was constantly opening his mouth and threatening Israel with nuclear destruction. But the Rebbe compared Ahmadinejad to the biblical villain Haman in the book of Esther, whose fall from power was swift and dramatic. We watchmen are certainly keeping our eyes upon Syria, Russia, Iran, Turkey, all the surrounding nations mentioned in Ezekiel 38 and Psalm 83. It's true, darkness is increasing, but we intercessors mustn't forget our blessed hope that Jesus is coming. And so if you've been discouraged by what's been happening, or if you're going through a difficult time in your own life, may I just pause to remind you that Jesus himself said, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. He said, in my Father's house are many mansions or many rooms. And 
If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And he said, If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am you also will be. But in the meantime, we have to beware of the many lies and distortions that's happening in the news, and we must determine to speak up boldly for the truth. That's why we need to know this word that Jesus said even the elect could be deceived in the last days, if it were possible. It seems that the world is just spiraling out of control, hanging by a thread and about to unravel. That's why biblical ignorance is very dangerous. While well, Israelis have truly been traumatized by all the hatred and the stabbings, despite the fact that this is God's appointed time to regather them and bring them home from the nations in order to welcome King Messiah. If the nations truly knew the word of God, they wouldn't be so diametrically opposed to God's regathering of the Jewish people to their own land in anticipation of the Messiah's return. I often teach that peace will come to the region three ways. Number one, through our intercession. Sadly, secondly, through war, but also thirdly, through divine intervention. And on that last point, I was delighted to read an article on divine providence by a Jewish Orthodox woman, Sarah Rigler. She wrote that only once before did Israel experience such utter desperation, such as Israel is presently passing through. That was in 1967 when the Egyptian leader, Gamal Abdul Nasser, promised to conquer Israel and to drive the Jews into the sea. Four Arab armies were amassed on Israel's borders. Can you imagine the threat? And Israel was outnumbered militarily. What's not generally known is that the Israelis grimly waited to be overrun. At that time of the Six-Day War, the Prime Minister was Levi Eshkol, and he actually broke down in tears during a radio broadcast to the nation. And the rabbinate, the rabbis, had consecrated every park in Israel as a potential cemetery. The prevailing dark humor at the time was, the last one out, turn off the lights. Then, miraculously, in just six days, Israel triumphed over her enemies. Israel captured all the major Jewish holy places and tripled its territory. As Sarah Rigler recalled in her fascinating article, historians credited the victory to Israeli jets flying below the radar and destroying Egypt's entire air force during the first hour of the war. But there were also too many coincidences, or what we call God incidences, that made the victory possible. Unlikely events accounted for the success of Israel's surprise attack. For example, the Egyptian Army Intelligence and El Arish warned that an attack was imminent. The warning reached the Egyptian commander-in-chief's bunker in time, and an aide signed a copy. But strangely, nobody bothered to inform the commander. And on the morning of the attack, Egyptian officers who were stationed at a radar station in Jordan picked up the scrambling of the Israeli aircraft 
and they sent a red alert to Cairo. The sergeant in the decoding room of the Egyptian Supreme Command tried to decipher the message, but he failed because he was using the previous day's code. And then he got distracted, put the cable down, and simply forgot about it. The message was also received in the operations room of the general staff, but no duty officer was present in Egypt to handle it. So the way was left clear for the Israeli jets to destroy the Egyptian airplanes. And immediately after the Six-Day War, Israeli Defense Minister Moshe Dayan visited the newly liberated Western Wall. Dayan, if you recall, was the one who had the eye patch. And he put a note in the cracks between the ancient stones. And reporters retrieved the note and they discovered that Dayan had written down a quote from the Psalms that read, This has come about from God and it is wondrous in our eyes. Well, Sarah Rigler wrote that Israeli desperation had turned to victory only because of divine intervention. And this, as I said, is what I've taught for years, that peace will come to Israel those three ways, through intercessory prayer, through war, and most importantly, through divine intervention. You see, politics and politicians can't save Israel. Protests, rallies can't save Israel. The rabbis can't save Israel. Only divine intervention will save Israel. And in her fascinating article, Sarah Rigler wrote that the universally successful 12-step program originally designed for alcoholics is a proven example of how to transform a seemingly hopeless situation into victory by simply turning to God for help. The first three steps of that program are honesty, faith, and surrender. Number one, honesty. We admit that we're powerless over the problem. In Israel's case, to admit that the nation is powerless over her fifth column, bloodthirsty enemies. Step two is faith. To believe that a power greater than themselves can restore sanity and peace. And step three, is surrender to God. This was, in fact, the same formula that liberated the Jewish people from Egyptian slavery long ago. The Israelite slaves in desperation called out to God, and His divine response was the Exodus with all of its miracles. And the Exodus miracles are reviewed and rehearsed at the Passover meal every year. So Sarah Rigler wrote, when despair impels us to turn to God, miraculous redemption is the result. Hallelujah. Well, the Israelis could easily give way to despair when they hear the sirens and the ambulances rushing to yet another scene of terrorism and bloodshed. But instead, many are choosing to cry out to God for help. And this is the prophesied spirit of grace and supplications that's beginning to be poured out and to fall upon the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Hallelujah. Intercessors, our prayers also really do count, and so do our tears. Tears are a form of praying. The Jewish nation desperately needs our intercessions right now, and the Arabs 
who are being driven by a Pharaoh-like spirit of hatred also need our desperate prayers to be set free. In fact, I think it's time to take a Selah moment and to read Isaiah 60, which puts everything, all these current events, into perspective. Would you just receive this word as an encouragement to you personally? Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and deep darkness the people. But the Lord will arise over you. Now, we have to be light in this darkness. Verse 3 says, the nations will come to your light. And of course, this speaks of coming to the light of Messiah that we carry. And kings to the brightness of your dawn. Verse 4, lift up your eyes and look about you. Your sons come from afar. This speaks of the Aliyah of the Jews. And your daughters are carried on the hip. This speaks of the Jews who are returning even now to the land of Israel. Verse 5, then you will look up and be radiant and your heart will throb and swell with joy. To you, the riches of the nations will come. And verse 6, the multitude of camels shall cover your land. The camels of Midian and Ephath and those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and incense and proclaim the praise of the Lord. This speaks of the Arabs being at peace. All the flocks of Kedar shall be gathered together to you. The rams and so forth, they shall ascend and be accepted on my altar. And I will adorn, God says, my glorious temple. And then there's an Aliyah theme, again, a theme of the Jews returning. Verse 8, who are these that fly like clouds, like doves to their nests? Verse 9, surely the islands look to me. In the lead are the ships of Tarshish, bringing your children from afar with their silver and gold. To the honor of the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has endowed you with splendor. Foreigners, this speaks of believers, the former Gentiles, will rebuild your walls and their kings will serve you. Though in anger I struck you, here God is speaking of the long diaspora, the long exile of the Jews, in favor I will show you compassion. So here God promises to restore Israel. And the next verse is a picture of Jerusalem in the soon coming millennium. Verse 11, your gates will always stand open. They will never be shut day or night and there'll be no need for metal detectors so that people may bring you the wealth of the nations. This speaks of the millennium. They're kings leading in triumphal procession. Very serious verse, verse 12. For the nation or kingdom that will not serve you, that will not serve Israel, will perish. It will be utterly ruined. Verse 14. The children of your oppressors will come bowing before you, and all who despise you will bow down at your feet and will call you the city of the Lord, Zion of the Holy One of Israel. In verse 15, although you have been forsaken and hated with no one traveling through you, you see the Holy Land literally was forsaken for centuries with no one traveling through it. Even Mark Twain wrote about that. 
in the 1860s, talking about how barren the land was in his book, Innocence Abroad. God says, nevertheless, I will make you the everlasting pride and the joy of all generations. Then you will know that I, the Lord, am your Savior, your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. Verse 17, instead of bronze, I will give you gold and silver in the place of iron. Instead of wood, I will bring you bronze and iron in the place of stones. I will make peace your governor. Verse 18, no longer will violence be hurting your land. Hallelujah. But you will call your walls salvation and your gates praise. The chapter goes on ending with verse 22 describing end-time Israel. The least of you will become a thousand, the smallest a mighty nation. I am the Lord. In its time, I will do this swiftly. Yes, I believe the Lord is moving swiftly now. The question remains, are you ready for the Lord's return and for the culmination of history? Or will many professing believers simply be caught unawares when he comes? Well, to be sure, not every Christian has the same degree of faith. And those who've had more time to grow should be stronger in faith by now. The psalmist prayed, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my thoughts and see if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So God is trying to build in us a genuine dynamic faith in the midst of darkness. And you may wonder, why does God allow all this darkness and the suffering and the heartaches and the evil to touch Israel and our lives? I'm convinced the Lord allows these things to wake us up and to drive us to seek his face in divine intervention. It's sad to say, but when things are going well, most of the time we just plod along and act like we don't really need God. But when the going gets tough, we realize just how very much we do desperately need him. And the brevity of life also teaches us that what shall it profit us if we gain the whole world and yet lose our soul? But the Bible says the good news is that the finished work of the cross is just as powerful today as it was 2,000 years ago. And I want to assure you that it's written in this word that Messiah died for our sins according to the Hebrew scriptures, not according to our feelings, but according to this Bible. So you can trust the Savior and you can trust this book. Messiah has already shed his innocent blood for anybody who will put their trust in him, the risen Savior. Our salvation is a finished work. And when you study the Bible carefully, you learn that all sin is put away by blood. And Jesus himself became the final blood sacrifice at the cross in God's predetermined counsel to take care of all sins and sicknesses, if we will believe. The choice is simple. Either you're going to be saved by keeping the whole law, which is impossible to do, or we will humble ourselves and receive the Lord's atonement freely offered without price. And our guilt is forever washed away by his blood. God accepts us on his terms as pardoned sinners. Amen. What a Savior. So in conclusion, today I'd like to invite you to visit our website at exploits.tv where you can click online to receive our 
free newsletter exploits, and you can learn about our Holy Land conferences and have access to our daily news articles and videos at any time. And please, would you tell your friends about our website and social media? Until next time, I'm Christine Dard, contending for the faith and praying always for the peace of Jerusalem. Shalom. Since we started the Jerusalem Channel less than two years ago, the word has certainly spread far and wide. Acts 1.8 is our ministry mandate. First in Jerusalem, then to Judea and Samaria, and on to the ends of the earth. Over the internet, we have a global audience that wants to know the Word of God and to better understand in-time events. As you can see from this analysis, people from many nations are joining us for these exploits programs. But each time someone views the channel, the video streaming costs are a real expense. It's much cheaper than satellite TV, but we still need to produce and stream these broadcasts. That's why I would urge you to help us. You can call us in the United States at our toll-free number, 888-245-2692, or in the United Kingdom at our national number, 0843-557-4077. With a credit or debit card, you can also click the Donate button on our website. Thank you for being a part of the Jerusalem Channel's mandate. As Daniel 11.32 proclaims, those who know God will be strong and do exploits. Please keep us and Exploits TV, the Jerusalem Channel, in your prayers so that we can reach the world through the Internet and by YouTube, Roku, and Google TV.